I am excited to share with you. Last week, Jeremiah shared with us on singing a new song and why God deserves that. This morning, we're going to talk about making a joyful noise. And we're going to see that, and actually, it kind of occurs to me that this is one of the most quoted verses in Scripture by people who think they can't sing or aimed at people who can't sing. But we're going to find out that it's more about just singing. And it's more about just making noise. But first, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to share with the congregation. I pray that my words would be clear and would be, make sense. I pray that the hearts would be open and, and hearts would listen to the message, Lord. And I just pray your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to read these three verses again. And I want you to listen for four things. What are we supposed to do? Who is supposed to do it? How are we supposed to do it? And why are we supposed to do it? So Psalm 98, verse 4 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to praise the Lord joyfully. Joy is the key word here. It's mentioned twice in verse 4. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. And then it's mentioned again in verse 6. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Interestingly, the phrase a joyful noise is only found in three places in the Bible, and all three of them are here in this section of the Psalter, in Psalm 95, here in Psalm 98, and Psalm 100. But to be clear, it's not just about feeling joyful or making joyful noises. It's about true joy, expressing true joy in worship. It's not about feeling good, but more about feeling God's goodness. And what is true joy? I did rely on Google, Brian, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but the best definition of joy I found came from Compassion International. It says, a fruit of the Spirit, comforting content and, uh, comforting content and full of peace, an enduring attitude of the heart and spirit, and a natural part of the Christian faith. I like that definition because it reminds me of one of my favorite Bible verses, Philippians 4, 7, which says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So that's the what. Who is supposed to do it? All the earth. Not just the nation of Israel, not just the priests and the Levites, not just the worship team. It doesn't even say all the people. It says all the earth. Period. Of course, this is talking about God's people, the nation of Israel. It's meant to start there and spread to the ends of the earth. So how are we supposed to do it? By singing songs. Singing songs of praise accompanied by instruments joyfully. Do you notice the escalation? It kind of starts out with the voices. Then it adds the harps. Then it adds the horns. It kind of escalates. This is not something you can do by yourself. I challenge you to sing a song, play the lyre, and blow a horn all at the same time. This is a picture of corporate worship. 
It's about the whole body, the whole group, joining together in celebration. And it's more than just making noise. It's about celebrating with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's not to say there's not a time and place for singing worship songs to yourself. I, I often miss the 30-minute commutes that I would have with the radio cranked up singing worship songs. But you'll notice that it doesn't also, it doesn't say anything about singing with angelic voices. This is about worshiping with the talents that God has given you. And he has given you talents, whether you realize that or not. So most importantly, why are we supposed to do it? Because the king is the Lord. And I'll be honest, I, I kind of missed this at first. The last line, verse 6, where it says, Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. That seemed to me to be kind of like an afterthought. But the more I dug into it and the more I, I studied this, the more the reason became clearer and more important. Why do we celebrate? Because the king is the Lord. I can't emphasize that enough. We celebrate with joy because the king is the Lord. So to recap, who's supposed to do it? It starts with us and it flows to the ends of the earth. What and how? By breaking forth into joyous songs and singing praise with volume. And why? Because the king is our Lord. The argument that these verses are making is that we celebrate with joy for our king is the Lord. So what does that mean for our king to be the Lord? This is an extremely important question because only if you understand the answer to that question can you really understand what true joy is. And that's what this psalm is talking about, that true joy. Kings throughout history have not been the greatest leaders. Many were self-serving despots. A lot of them had God complexes. I'm sure we all have somebody in our extended family that has a God complex. But unlike your crazy uncle, the king had the power and the army to do whatever he wanted to do. All the kings of this world have been flawed. Many were downright evil. As the saying goes, absolute power corrupts absolutely. King after king has let their people down. King Henry VIII Founded a, he went so far as to found a new religion because he wanted to divorce his wife. And don't get me started on Ivan the Terrible. How bad do you have to be for them to call you Ivan the Terrible? <laughs> but let's jump ahead to the birth of America. America's former democracy was basically began as the rejection of the king's authority. To be honest, I would rather live under a righteous king than a corrupt democracy. But because of human nature, kings are corrupt, and democracies aren't much better. Today's kings have no power, and they're mostly just figureheads. Show of hands, how many people woke up at 5 a.m. and made a watch King Charles be coronated? How many of you are thinking, wait a minute, Charles is king now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people may have paid more attention if he was younger or more attractive, or maybe if Princess Di was still alive and she was becoming queen, everybody would have been tuning in. But that's the worldly standard of a king. It's more of a celebrity. In America, we don't have a king. We have a president. There have been 12 presidents in my lifetime. That makes me feel old. But there have been 12 presidents in my lifetime. So 12 times 4 is 48, right? That's how that works? <laughs> that just came to me. Um, <laughs> No, some have been better than others, 
Some are more popular, more charismatic, but none have had the power of a king. Could you imagine if the president had the power of the king to turn his army against his people? No, the, our presidents have a check, system of checks and balances. In every election cycle, we want to believe that our candidate is going to solve all our problems. But we have to realize that no president or earthly king can solve the world's problems. The problem is that even what the world considered a great king was mostly evil. Most kings were pretty weak, and any king we call good is probably dead. We need a better king. We need a king who is more like the God of verses 1 through 3. A king who has done marvelous things, who works salvation for his people, who reveals his righteousness and steadfast love for his people, even in their sin. Israel's hope, the world's hope, was for that kind of king. A king like our God. But that's the joy of Psalm 98. The king is not like our God. The king is our God. The king, our God, is the God that Jeremiah talked about last week in verses 1 to 3. Let me report, repeat that because I think it's very important. The king is not like our God. The king is our God. We celebrate because our God is the king. So let's talk about the celebration and the instrumentation. We won't spend a lot of time on the lyre, which is basically a small heart, which reminds me of a small harp. Reminds me of a story when I was in grade school. I, we had a costume party and I went dressed as a harp. And when my teacher asked me, what are you supposed to be? I said, I'm a harp. And she said, your costume's a little small to be a harp. And I said, are you calling me a liar? <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to work a dad, in, a dad joke in for my girls. <laughs> but I think, I think the fact that the psalmist mentions trumpets and horns is to let us know that our worship should be loud and proud. Worship may be a personal thing, but it's not a private thing. It isn't necessarily a private thing. In, in Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. I would say we take it one step further. Let your light shine before others and let your worship be heard. But it's not just about being loud. The horn of the Old Testament, or the shofar, would have been the horn of a ram or a similar animal, and it was used for several purposes. It would summon the worshipers to Israel. It was also sounded on the holy occasion, the Day of Atonement in the year of Jubilee, regular temple worship in the Book of Psalms. Of course, it was used in times of war to summon the troops to battle, like it has been throughout history. But most relevant in the context of these verses is that it was sounded during the coronation of a king. They blew the trumpets in loud anticipation and hope that the incoming king would bring peace and prosperity through victory in battle. The king in Israel would stand before God to take care of God's people, and he would lead God's people out to advance God's mission. Basically, the king's job is spelled out in the first three requests of the Lord's Prayer. Honor the name of the Lord, expand the kingdom, and ensure the work of the Lord is done on earth. The people long for a king like that. In fact, we still do. 
King David was probably the closest to being that kind of king, but we all know he had his human flaws. When this psalm was written, they knew that it was only God's true king, the Messiah Christ, who could do this. So what I thought was an afterthought before the king of the Lord is what this psalm is all about, the Messiah. Even more incredible is that it says that our king, Messiah, would be the Lord God himself. Think about that. Our king, the Messiah, is the Lord God himself. And that's what leads us to the most joyful noise in history. Pastor David read earlier in Luke chapter 10, it says, But the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Notice the key words there. Great joy, all the people, just like we see in Psalm 98. Verse 11 continues, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Basically, what the angel said to the shepherd is that the, today the Messiah God of Psalm 98 has come to earth. In verse 13, it continues, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jesus the Messiah is the Lord. The king, the Lord is Jesus. Jesus is the king. Jesus is our king. He is the king of kings, the ruler of all the earth. Everything that we have ever needed or wanted in a king is fulfilled through Jesus. Just let that sit for a minute. Everything that the king or that we have ever needed or wanted in a king is fulfilled in Jesus. Oh, and spoiler alert, he's still sitting on his throne. Isn't that great news? Especially as we head into another election cycle. When this election cycle gets nasty, we need to remember that Christ is our king, and he's still sitting on his throne. We celebrate with joy because our king is the Lord. So what does that joy look like? I think there's a beautiful picture of this in 2 Samuel chapter 6 as David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel, or back into Jerusalem. Verse 5 says, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. In fact, David took his joy to the next level. Later in chapter 6, it says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. David isn't just going through the motions. He is overcome with pure joy. He's not just feeling good about himself. He is celebrating with joy because the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God himself, was returning to the place of power. He's not concerned with what anyone else is thinking of him. He's celebrating before the Lord. Now, when we were discussing this in our sermon prep meetings, Brian challenged me to think of what that would look like today. And the first thing that came to mind was Jeremiah in a Christian mosh pit slamming to O Holy Night by the Beastie Boys. But I thought, yeah, that can't be right. <laughs> No, the thing, the thing that kept coming to mind was a children's Christmas program. I don't know if you've ever been to a children's Christmas program. You may have seen them on America's Funniest Home Videos or TikTok. Or, there's always one or two kids that are just really feeling it. You know, sure, the, you, you have some kids that are kind of shy and mumbling, but there's always one or two that are 
Dancy was reckless abandon. And it reminded me of a story of when Amanda was a little. She was like five or six. There was a little boy, Ian. And they were singing, they were singing Go Tell It on the Mountain. Now, Ian didn't really know the, the lyrics to the verses, but he knew the chorus. So he would kind of mumble his way through the lyrics until they got to the chorus. And then he would belt it out, Go Tell It on the Mountain. He was telling it on the mountain and he wanted everybody to hear. We should be willing to celebrate with that kind of unbridled, uninhibited devotion. Now Ian's devotion was more directed at the lyrics, but David's devotion was to the king. And he danced with a childlike fervor, not concerned with what other people were thinking or what appearances. In fact, so much so that his wife Michael chastised him for it. And she, it even says she despised him in her heart. What would it look like if we worship like that? If we worship like children with childlike innocence and inhibition? Should we not act like children? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But what keeps us from worshiping like that? Are we too focused on what other people are thinking of us? David wasn't worried about what others thought. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 21, David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, who chose me above your father and above all his house, to appoint me as prince over Israel and, and the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. What if we worshiped with that attitude? What if when people think we're weird, we say, I don't care what you think, it's before the Lord. We can't let the people of this world steal our joy. What if we took it one step further? What if we applied this principle to the rest of our lives? What if we worked at doing our jobs or doing our chores as doing it before the Lord with joy? And what if we did that before the king without worrying about what others think. One more note on joy. I think it's interesting that the joy in worship of the Old Testament in anticipation of the Messiah turns into rejoicing in Christ in the New Testament. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And why do we rejoice? I think John the Baptist put it well in John chapter 3, verse 29. He said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And Jesus said later in John chapter 5, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We rejoice, we celebrate with joy, because Jesus is the full completion of the promises of the Old Testament. Let me say that again. Jesus is the full completion of the promises of the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Now, I will admit, there are times when I do feel like I'm just going through the motions, and putting a smile on my face. But there are also times when I can just feel the Holy Spirit and I just feel moved. And I got to be honest, last week I kind of felt that when we had the whole worship team up here singing our new song. 
Why? Because I was with friends singing of the fresh new joy, of the fresh truths about our king. We were a little louder than usual because we had the full team there. But I, I was really moved, and I hope you guys were too. So what do we need to celebrate with that kind of joy? We need to come to the king to bring us joy. Psalm 43, verse 3 through 4 says it all. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. To me that says, send Jesus to lead me and I will joyfully worship before the King the Lord. We need to turn to him. That should be our prayer. We can't manufacture joy. We can pretend or we can find temporary pleasure in the worldly things. But we really need God to supply that joy through his Son and through the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm reminded of a story from our old church. There was a, a couple in the church. They were relatively new to the church. And they were very involved in the, the teen ministry. And they had just come back from a teen worship service or teen worship conference in Indiana. And they came to the board meeting and they were so excited about the joy they felt in worship and, and the kings were moved and we need to do that every Sunday. And we kind of had to break it to them. We can't create that kind of excitement. Man can't create that excitement. That can only come from the Holy Spirit. I know personally the greatest worship services I've ever been to have been some of the large men's conferences whether it be Elmbrook's No Regrets or Promise Keepers. I remember one time at Soldier Field, there was almost 100,000 men singing How Great Thou Art. Just moving. But again, you can't create that. It's not something you can manufacture. It would be nice if we could. Christians can suffer from depression and anxiety just like everybody else. But you can't just tell them, oh, be joyful. God loves you. Buck up. <laughs> you know? A lot of times that just leads to more depression. But remember the joy that you used to feel when you were a little child on Christmas morning when you jumped out of bed and ran to the tree to see all the presents? What if we jumped out of bed this Christmas morning to, because we get to celebrate with joy that our God is the king? What if we jumped out of bed every morning with that kind of joy and excitement? That's our prayer. We can bring our joyless hearts to the King, Jesus. We can trust the King to bring us joy. We can go through the motions by faith. God will work in our lives. If we stop turning to God because we're not feeling joy, our chances of feeling real joy are slim. The enemy uses distractions of this world. He uses our doubts. He uses the Michaels of this world who are speaking in our ears to separate us from God. And God is where our real joy is found. We need to ignore the distractions and keep coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, our great King. It's all about Jesus. Let us celebrate with joy because our King is the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message of Psalm 98. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus came to all the earth 
kings and wise men, even lowly shepherds. Christmas joy doesn't come from presents. It doesn't come from family gatherings. It doesn't come from spiked eggnog. It comes from the manger because that's where Jesus is because he is our king and he is our Lord, our God, our complete joy. In conclusion, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that, that we would be filled with your joy this holiday season and, and throughout the year, Lord, that we would spread your joy to others. Thank you for being our king. Thank you for being our Lord. Father, as we leave here today, I pray that, that your spirit would leave with us and fill us throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen.